Welcome back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM. I am your host, Tim Cutler, and I'm not, you're not stuck with only me. I know you're used to hearing the voices of either Nick Skinner or Daniel Beswick first, but considering Nick does all the prep work and all the cutting of this podcast, I thought I'd give him a break <laughs> tonight. Daniel Beswick is all the way over in New Zealand still in the thick of the Women's Cricket World Cup, and we wish him well. But he is very many arms of Vishnu-like in that he is doing lots of things. So I think he'll be joining us as a fan only and not as a co-host. Nicholas, how are you? I'm well. I'm all right. I uh, made paella for dinner tonight, Ooh. which worked out okay. But without the um, the big flat Spanish pan that they use, uh, there's room for improvement. Um, but it was, it was all right. And uh, otherwise, yeah, just... You know, the eternal question, balancing sleep and uh, watching cricket as it comes along. Yeah, we know what invariably wins. Um, you're talking my language though, food-wise. I'm loving having a kitchen again. And I know you didn't ask, um, but I'm not wearing an apron either, like you are in the magics of podcasts. So I uh, hope everyone can enjoy that. All of our viewers will, will love that. Yeah, I did a bit of pan-fried salmon. Ooh. You know, Charlotte has this great fisherman that she gets stuff off fresh mm. and chops it up and puts it into my freezer. So it's like little presents every time I go out to open my fridge. <laughs> it's like, ah, look, or freeze, look what's here. So yeah, did that with a balsamic soy glaze and uh, just some potatoes and peas and corn. Bit of wasabi on the side just to, you know, let you know you're alive and, you know, <laughs> tears for another day. Sounds sounds good. I Yeah, I imagine the, um, the seafood over in Vanuatu would be a selling point for people wanting to visit no absolutely and unlike a lot of the groceries that come in and you pay more than you would in australia you can actually get your fresh produce cheaper than anywhere really and that includes some great fish lobsters prawns etc really really good what's not so good is that we're entering our second week of lockdown with cases now throughout the community which is providing a bit of stress for a fairly unprepared community i think from a, a mental health point of view so let's hope the, the government gets on top of it soon, but it's been a big challenge here. And I think for a lot of people, we don't quite know what is on, on the horizon. Before we kick off tonight, lots of Cricket World Cup 2 action for us to talk about, both completed and upcoming in the UAE, and also looking ahead to some well, associate team playing in New Zealand, which is exciting, but some sad news that the, the founder of, of Sport FN, Colin Minson, sadly passed away very recently. It was a pass hour condolences to, to his family and friends and i think you know we had limited interactions with colin but within the time that that we did we, we could just see why he was so well regarded in perth and beyond you know as the founder of sport fm and a real hero of, of, of local sport you know it's funny how these little things happen in life and sort of start a chain reaction of things ryan campbell contacted us and said oh hey you know really enjoying your podcast can i come on as many times as possible um why don't you give colin minson a call in in perth he's a great guy he was my first agent um, he runs a radio station and, I, and I'm sure that, that he'd love your podcast. So I, I called him out of the blue and said that I knew Ryan Campbell and this is a story. We're doing a podcast and trying to broaden the audience as much as possible. He said, I really love the idea. And if Cambo um, referred you on and, and Cambo backs you, then let's do it. You know, send us your first episode. And, and, it, and it all started there, July 2019 it was. And ever since, it sort of was a real big start for us as well because it got us into a good habit as mm. Nick kind of looks around his house and thinks, what happened to my life thanks to the, <laughs> the, the podcast, that we had to put a show out every week. And for those that have, have been around, you know, the, 
a regular 50-minute show with the occasional extended one for Patron was because of the opening that we got on Sport FM, initially an hour show, and then during the summer it was a 50-minute show and it got us really regimented. And it's great that Sport FM have carried us and, and, until now and have had little extra slots with, with me live when I was in Perth when we had the, the Women's T20 World Cup and I think Bez has done a couple of sessions as well. So again, just sending all the best to, to everyone out there because as we've known recently with so many characters in the, the cricket world, unfortunately, passing away in the recent past of the just the the huge effect that uh, these people have had on, on so many people's lives and I'm sure from everything I've read and seen and just from our little interaction it's, a, it's the same with Colin so all our best to all of his people. Now in the UAE we've ongoing a veritable feast of Men's Cricket World Cup League 2 action. We've just had a it's almost a super series of seven ODIs between UAE, Namibia and Oman. You know, some of those matches were catching up for those lost in Oman when the, the Sultan passed away pre-COVID. And doesn't that feel like such a, a long time ago? And the honours were pretty shared. UAE and Namibia, two wins each. And Oman, three. Now, Nick, you've already talked about how you've basically given up sleep to be watching cricket. You watch a lot of these matches. Do you want to go through the results and, and how you saw them? Yeah, so just quickly, um, the first match, Oman posted 225 and beat the UAE by 12 runs. The second ODI, Namibia, that big comeback with the Gerard Erasmus 100, posted 226 and beat Oman by 110 runs. Third ODI, Namibia, posted 206, which the UAE chased down with three wickets to spare in the 48th over. The fourth match, Oman, similar to the first match against the UAE, posted 221 bowled the UAE out for 213 to win by eight runs. Fifth match, Namibia got to 275. Uh, Oman cruised the chase with seven wickets to spare in the 47th over. The sixth match, UAE got one over the Namibians with 348 for three in their 50 overs. Namibia uh, struggled in the chase, 305 for nine in their 50 overs. And the last match, Namibia got over Oman. The Omanis posted 265 and Namibia chased it in the 48th over five wickets down. So yeah, as you said, a mixed bag for all these guys. The UAE, probably I would say the most disappointed, uh, you know, looking at this Omani team, I think the UAE probably thought they had a good opportunity to bridge the gap with Oman at the top of the points table, especially since they beat them. The UAE traveled to Oman uh, last month. Uh, So yeah, I think a missed opportunity there. For the UAE, Namibia as well, pretty frustrating tour for them, I would say. They definitely should have won their second match against the UAE, which the UAE won with three wickets to spare. But, you know, they were six for 53 um, and in all sorts of trouble chasing that that Namibian total. And you'd think generally when you have your opposition, you know, that far down, they shouldn't really recover. So uh, that definitely got away for them. And, And even the chase, the big chase against the UAE, I think they were in with a chance for a, a good chunk of that um, that match. They just kept losing wickets when guys looked set. And part of it also was they, they got a bit bogged down at times. The fielding in the ring was pretty good. Uh, they, they hit a lot to mid-on and mid-off with Ahmed Raza. He, he just moved his fielders a little bit every now and then. And, and I think that kind of got into the head of some of the batters who, who were just... They, they were hitting nice shots, but they were just always hitting them to the fielder and, and getting a bit bogged down and then going for the release shot. And, you know, a couple of times they'd get boundaries but sometimes they'd get wickets so that was a really well-managed defense of a a total by Ahmed Raza as a captain Um, but looking at the Namibian side of things they're they're batting I mean all throughout the series really I mean Bard has been in pretty poor form but everyone else has has got starts at various moments but no one's really dominated Erasmus 
looked very good and, and got some good runs. But, you know, they'd always have one or two or even three quick wickets somewhere either at the top or in the middle order or, or as they're trying to build momentum and, and they just could never quite put it all together which yeah they'll need to uh, have a bit of a, a look at what they're doing wrong in terms of their it's not the technique you know none of the guys looked out of sorts even Bard who didn't really make any runs he looked okay you know he looked compact he's got a good technique but he just got out and they just they just kept getting out even though they, they looked like they could keep going and it's, it's something that Namibia's uh, struggled with over the last little while one little uh, one stat that I, I noticed was I couldn't remember the last time Namibia beat the UAE in, in one day cricket. And so I looked it up. And the last time they beat them was in 2017, back in the World Cricket League Championship. Wow. Uh, so that's, it's been a long time between drinks. And maybe it's just a mental hoodoo or maybe, you know, Ahmed Raza knows exactly what to do to press their buttons to, to get past them. <laughs> yeah, wow. What, what Cricket League Championship with Namibia, that wouldn't have been a one day international either because Namibia no. came up from Division 2 and only Nepal. Paul in Kenya came through when the ICC decided almost mid-tournament that Ireland and Afghanistan were going to be yanked out of the next World Cricket League Championship and into the ODI table. And I think that fourth place that went to Kenya, Canada, was net run rate only. That's mm-hmm. just, just more of the same, isn't it? Net run rate in Namibia <laughs> just doesn't, doesn't go well for them. <laughs> now, this series i guess we can only call it it's a tri-series seven matches it really is now i'm really excited to say this because finally i've got a chance to say it It really was a tale of two cities you know we had four matches there it is in dubai i know i've been waiting for this a long time yeah we had five matches in dubai uh, the start and the finish interestingly and then two matches in Sharjah and it was just interesting to see the scores you know the winning scores in Dubai early on 225 226 207 221 then the teams go down the road to Sharjah and the winning scores are 276 348 and then back in Dubai this time at the stadium rather than at the ICC Academy a higher score at 266 so I'm interested what you think Nick from what you think the conditions, what effect they might have had. And looking at that second last match, when I said 348, that was a huge total set by the UAE. 348 for three, you know, partnerships of 150 and 100 and then almost 100 again was, well, it was great to watch, but very flat. And it's not too often in an associate ODI match, you'd see a team scoring 305 for nine and losing and being you know, really out of the game, but 43 runs on the scoreboard anyway. How did you see the, the changing conditions? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, Sharjah back to being a road is uh, kind of a development because we saw in the T20 World Cup, you know, it has this reputation of being a batting paradise and then it was a bit harder to bat on, it was a bit slow and the, the spinners got a lot of assistance out of it. Uh, but in <laughs> in this series, it was just, you know, just dead and, and batting paradise once more. Um, the ICC Academy was interesting. It was it was pretty green and the seamers got a lot of assistance as we saw. You know, Bilal Khan got a bag of wickets, as he always does. Uh, <laughs> JJ Smith took a bunch of wickets for Namibia. Tangeni Lungameni, who I think in the past I've <laughs> I don't I don't want to say I've written him off, but you know I I no no let's be honest you have okay we you have <laughs> well yeah okay I, I I'm yeah I don't I think he's um, a pretty average bowler if we're honest um, but he bowled really well um, in just having that extra assistance and some juice in the pitch. Um, David Visa looked threatening. Ruben Trumpelman looked threatening on those pitches. So yeah, it was it was interesting to see the the seamers doing really well, which is not something you sort of typically associate with the UAE. But it is good to have these kind of variation in conditions, and it made the series a lot more interesting. Um, I think 
In terms of Dubai Sports City, it's kind of more of a balance, like a typical uh, sort of traditional one-day international pitch where there's a bit of bounce for the seamers, but pretty flat and, and good batting track. So, yeah, I think Namibia, again, with, with that strong seam attack they have, they would probably be quite disappointed not to have made more out of that. Uh, they should, as I said, certainly have beaten the UAE in, in their second match of the series. That 350 or 348 that you mentioned. Like I said, I thought Namibia were in with the chase, um, but but they kind of self-destructed with the bat rather than it, it being any, you know, demons in the pitch or, you know, anything being extracted necessarily by the bowlers. Uh, I think, you know, looking at Namibia again, uh, Jan Nicole Lofty-Eaton got a couple of 50s over the different uh, matches and, and he looked very good in the middle order. And so hopefully he's growing in maturity because obviously he has the talent. We've seen him do some uh, ridiculous things with the bat. Um, and I think over this sort of last couple of weeks, he's looked a bit less hyperactive at the crease, uh, which is something that, you know, previously he, he does look sort of like he's just either trying to smash everything or, you know, run three off a one or, you know, just, just always trying to do something ridiculous. Um, but he, he looked a lot more relaxed uh, with a calm presence at the crease and he's a phenomenal talent and if he can ally that natural ability with a, a kind of more laid-back temperament I think he'll, he'll do a lot of damage at this level and you know I think he's a pretty good value proposition for any franchise side out there he, he keeps wickets he bats and he bowls pretty handy leg spin um, Lohan Lawrence actually was an interesting return to the side because um, Zane Green, their regular wicketkeeper, was injured and um, Lofty Eaton was keeping for four of those five matches Namibia played, which again, we, we talked about it last week, it's a very strange decision to, to get a guy who's, who's a good leg spinner keeping uh, <laughs> in terms of your fingers, but mm. you know, if it makes it kind of even more strange in retrospect because if they got Lawrence in for this last game, couldn't they have got him in uh, before the series when, when Green got injured? Oh, I don't know. But maybe it took that long to get a trip from Namibia that certainly took me a long time to get to Namibia on, on uh, international <laughs> airline travel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we should... <laughs> Look, we've gone almost six months without talking about your yeah. your extended tour of a Saudi Arabian uh, airport. Yeah, we, we don't need to go to that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I thought you mentioned Dubai Sports City or the Dubai International Stadium. I think it's all been, uh, it's named. Now, as soon as I heard the mention of that stadium, I thought, yeah, but gee, it was good to, to be there watching in 2019. <laughs> the, Rubbing that one in. What is looking potentially to be the last, you know, super global qualifier in, in T20 cricket. And then I know how much it hurts you. So uh, I'm sorry, just thought I'd bring it up. So before we, we I want to ask you about Oman because I won't say we wrote them off last week, but we definitely pointed to the fact that this would be a real fork in the road for a, an aging squad uh, and how they came back into the 50 over format after a disappointing World Cup. But maybe if we look at the change, or I guess the, the very little change to the table, you know, we, Oman has now played 28 matches, <laughs> which is huge. The next closest is the USA on six, 16 matches um, and then the lowest we've got Nepal who've only played eight so you know we're talking beforehand Nick likened it to the the Premier League where you got talking about games in hand when this you've got like series in hand or months in hand 
you know, Oman, 28 matches, 17 wins and a tie, 36 points. Scotland haven't played in a while, 12 matches, 7 wins for 16 points. The UAE, 14 matches, 7 wins for 16 points. So equal with Scotland, but behind on net run rate. And equal on 14 points is Namibia and the USA, with Namibia having played 14 matches and the USA 16. So I think we did mention, it might have even been two weeks ago with uh, with Bez, that they could help each other out with this series and sort of share the wins around. And they've basically done that but if we look at the kind of win loss ratio which i don't want to steal too much from the world test championship table but if we look at the win win losses you know oman 17 wins nine losses um we go down the table you know it gets worse progressively we always you go down namibia seven and seven usa seven wins nine losses nepal even on four and four it's still crazy that they've only played eight matches and then png who as we record now are halfway through their match against uae and unfortunately looking likely to add a 13th loss from their 13th match but scotland are really in a good position, I think, from a win-loss ratio at 7-3, and three, sitting behind Oman at 17-9. and nine. But what do you think about this table as it stands after this series? I think the biggest series that we've had match-wise. Yeah, as you said, um, they, they shared the wins around and it's kind of status quo, isn't it? They won a couple each. They lost a couple each. Uh, it was all, yeah, even Stevens. I think at the back end of League 2, it'll be uh, very close because all these teams have pretty similar points and pretty similar, even, you know, the US who aren't doing quite as well, they could easily pull it back. So, yeah, only three spots in, in that go directly into the qualifier. Um, the top spot, theoretically, was supposed to be eligible for promotion up to the Super League, but I don't think that's going to happen with the Super League looking likely to be binned. And it's, it's kind of unclear what's going to happen with the bottom few teams in terms of relegation or, or possible playoffs against teams from the Challenge League. or you know, So all, all of that's kind of up in the air. So it looks like there'll be a big jumble of teams competing for probably two to six. Scotland and Oman, you would say Oman with points on the board and Scotland with a very good win-loss ratio are probably the favourites to take out that top spot. But then, yeah, as, as we said, just all that bunch in the middle, is, it's, you know, anyone can beat anyone on, on any day. And But I guess, you know, we've got another tri-series, as you said, underway right now. Uh, so by the end of that, with the UAE having another four matches, uh, Nepal having another four matches, PNG having another four matches, we'll possibly have a bit more of an idea of how things are shaping up. Although, again, if they just sort of trade wins um, and unfortunately keep thrashing PNG... <laughs> Um, then we'll yeah still be still be status quo. Yeah, it it's funny how the prism through which you you view this tournament has completely changed and to its detriment. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think we need to go over the, the same road about how disappointed we are in the binning of the qualification being used from these leagues. We still don't know that it that the leagues have been have been cancelled or you know after after one year of us actually having a meritocratic system for qualification for a World Cup to be told that, well, four members have allowed more teams in the World Cup, therefore they should have more time to play bilaterals. Like, who knows what we're going to get down the road heading towards the next World Cup in 2027. And I, I sort of, just on, just as we're looking at this list, you know, saying, I was about to say how important it is now that third and fourth spots, you know, and it should be a big red line underneath the third place because that's really where the battle is. And exactly as you said, they're probably hoping, I say the other teams, hoping that Oman won every game and went further ahead and other teams came back to the pack. So it will be interesting to see how, especially Nepal, with the 4-4 four, four numbers that they have after eight matches, if they can get themselves up the table but you know the scrapping of this league or at least for its qualification for the world cup it kind of leaves well if the super league disappears that leaves a lot of teams in the lower end of the four member spectrum in, in limbo and you're sort of thinking you know we mentioned before about ireland and afghanistan being pulled out of world cricket league championship for 2015 through 17 to be part of the 
the ODI table and, and part of the FTP setup. But you, you've got to wonder how, how often they're going to get the opportunity to play if they're not in the World Cup Super League and they're not an attractive proposition for the, the higher four members. And you always wonder whether a new old again, let's just call it what it should be, the World Cricket League as it, as it was, whether you invite the likes of Zimbabwe, Afghanistan and Ireland to be part of it that would really increase the quality of that league. And, you know, and I'm just thinking on, on the hop here, but you one of the advantages of this league it is for all associate cricket is that it's subsidised by the ICC and I wonder if there's a carrot to offer these four members that are really struggling financially saying well we're going to be paying for this league anyway if we invite a couple of teams at the top to improve the quality you know it's going to improve the, the tournament altogether he's, he's hoping that you know, the development team gets a little bit more money in the next rights distribution which is hoping going to going to be increased but just wondering how you know we might actually end up with a tournament that's better but we can only hope, but um, anyway, on the on the way in, Nick, I mentioned Oman and how we'd almost written them off, or at least commented on the vintage of their squad. How do you see their performance getting away with with three wins versus the other two teams? Two. Yeah, getting away with it is kind of how it, it looked, didn't it? Because they looked a bit ragged at times. Their fielding was was quite poor. They, that I mean they fielded well in their first match, and then. I guess <laughs> they just kind of gave up on that and, uh, I don't know, fitness maybe caught up with them. But they have enough quality in the individual performers to, you know, get over the line in, in three out of five matches. And uh, <laughs> the the Twitter account uh, was uh, certainly confident, uh, posting that they've virtually qualified for the uh, the World Cup qualifier, which <laughs> may be a little premature, but, you know, as, as we said, runs on the board. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think looking at the way they played, they'd probably be kind of the inverse to Namibia, who would be pretty frustrated with their results. Oman, I think, would kind of feel like they did a bit better than they deserved to, really. They beat the UAE twice in a couple of really thrilling games, um, which... Let's just say uh, on on the uh, ICC TV streaming stuff, it's certainly better than it has been um, in in the recent past, but still, again, uh, room for improvement. But having uh, Paul Radley of the National, friend of the pod, uh, on commentary quite a lot has been refreshing and the camera work has been a lot better and it has not cut out remotely as much as in the qualifiers so just as an aside on the the technical side of things um it's been a lot better but uh yeah the the matches that we've been able to watch have have been really good but i don't know oman just keep they keep finding ways to win and maybe this is sort of the the flip side of them being a bit older and maybe not as fit is that they do have this kind of collective experience and they have a lot of uh guys who who've played cricket a long time and they just know how to win even when they're not looking their best. Uh, Shoaib Khan played really well. Kawar Ali as well batted really well. Jatinder Singh had a torrid time of it in the first few games at the top of the order. Um, And then he finally found some form in that game against Namibia and and looked a lot better. So hopefully that's him uh, regaining the the scintillating form that we saw towards the end of last year. Uh, Maxwood's captaincy is probably the biggest question mark. You know, we're just thinking about that game, the last game. He just... We've said it in the past, but he just can sort of let the game drift if things aren't going his way. It was just way too easy for Smith and Visa to be knocking it around for, for the ones and twos. They didn't hit many boundaries at all in that partnership, uh, which for two guys who are known for power hitting, you'd think you would try and dry up the singles. And especially if Maxud was watching the way that Namibia kind of strangled themselves by just you know constantly hitting to the, to the fielders in the ring. Uh, against the UAE, surely you, you you know you might try and repeat that. Uh, and you know, two sixty five is not 
Um, it's not the same scoreboard pressure as 348, but it's still a decent total. So that was uh, just a bit unimaginative. Uh, Bilal Khan broke through in the middle of that chase. He, he got Erasmus with a beautiful delivery that cut through him, sort of swung in, bounced, hit the top of off stump. Just a, a you know one of those magic balls that the Bilal is capable of producing. And and um, then he got Jan Nicole eaten who was also set a couple of balls later. Again. Bilal in that moment looks like he's he's having one of those special spells where he changes the game for you and and then Maxud just yanks him after after that over against Lofty Eaton. So yeah, that was a strange decision. Sort of seemed a bit formulaic, like, oh, we have to keep Bilal for the death. Mm. I just think, yeah, again, Maxud, very good player, as we've seen. He won the ICC Associate Men's Player of the Year award, great servant of Omani cricket, but I think his captaincy is just a little bit unimaginative, especially compared to Ahmed Raza, who was very proactive and just has this kind of crafty instinct for always knowing where to put his fielders and when to change his bowlers. Yeah, for Oman as well, it must have been weird for them not playing at home. <laughs> you know, we have to go back to November when they, they went down to Namibia to, to play in that series that was cut short. But they've played so much cricket at home, I thought maybe that four-hour drive <laughs> or so, I'm not sure, maybe we can be, be corrected to Dubai, uh, made all the difference. But uh, you mentioned that the stream, and it's great to hear our mate Radders. But all, you, you didn't mention Barney Reid. He, he's written for EC. You know, he on the microphone as well. Sorry, it's good to hear sorry, Barney. Both of, of course. It, it, yeah, I know. But um, no, and it just shows that it's not hard to have a half decent production. And you talked about production values. You know, there was still a lot, a lot of room to improve there with fixed cameras and and the movable ones and the cutting that is sometimes a little bit too late. But it, it was a lot better with, especially with replays. You know, I remember um, a sequence in the UAE Namibia game with the high score where there was a run out in the, the UAE innings and it was clearly not out and they had slow motion replays as much as you can have slow motion replays with that quality of, of film it's not like you've got the frame by frame but they were able to commentate over the replay and talk about it in real time and, and, and that was good so definitely improvement but it's not hard to get commentators that know what's going on know the players know the stories and it was really enjoyable you know Radders lives and breathes UAE cricket you know he knows the players the families the stories that who's paired Parent is sitting in the in the grandstand and talking to them as he's commentating. You know that's that's what we want. We want the stories behind the game. Anybody can sit there and tell you what they see. Sometimes with a horrible tone, as we saw in that <laughs> exciting match that has since been re- redubbed. So, but I guess we've got to acknowledge that it, it was better. Yeah. So you've sort of talked about Namibia and their, their disappointment, the UAE as well, the fact that they had you know winning positions and didn't go ahead with an Oman. Weird to say that them being on the winning side is surprising but I guess they surprised us in the way that they were able to win those games from tough positions and I'm just not sure whether they can keep that steam up for the rest of the event you know impressive that we've seen them win these games but if we see these results start coming and again ultimately they only need to be top three but I I don't know they can still lose a few games and have have Scotland and and Namibia come running after them so yeah as you said always interesting with the Oman Twitter account you know it's they're, they're, they're always consistent consistently posting a day after whatever happens <laughs> um, it's the time difference <laughs> it's, as I said it's a big difference that drive down the road from from Musket to uh, to Dubai and then back to Sharjah 
but like the, the road to Tipperary, I guess it's the road to Dubai, as I mentioned, and, and, and UAE. He kind of summarised a little bit at the top that they'll be disappointed that they had, especially Oman in a, in a couple of positions there, and maybe let them get away with it. You know, I think we probably had them pegged as the favourites to, to get the most wins coming into this series after their form in the T20s and the fact that Namibia, who've maybe lived up to our, our fears that they're not having a lot of competitive cricket lately, has meant that they didn't perhaps get the results they want. How, how do you think... Ahmed Raza will be feeling after this series. Well, well, after the the two series in a row, I think he'll be feeling pretty tired. But uh, yeah, two two. Um, I th- yeah, like you said, I think they'll be just a bit disappointed they couldn't uh, convert a couple of those positions. Those matches, as I said, um, against Oman were really you know absorbing stuff, uh, tight chases. They couldn't quite get over the line. You know, credit to the Omanis, as as we said, they they have enough uh, individual quality that they they managed to to beat out the UAE. But uh, yeah, how good Vritya Aravind, I think, is um, that's the main takeaway of this series. You know, that mm. century he scored against Namibia was just beautiful. His timing, we've said before, he just, he has that effortless power, you know, the ability to just crack on and, and get it over the rope or, you know, into the stands, just anywhere around the ground, but especially straight, you know, those on drives and off drives that he has, amazing stuff. Chirag Suri as well, uh, Muhammad Wazim. Uh, all contributed. Siri had there was a nice touch. You, know, you mentioned Radders and and his uh, knowledge of the players. Uh, Siri scored a ton on his wedding anniversary, which is a, a nice little uh, little uh, thread there. But uh, yes, yeah, as you said, just the the little stories there. And um, Radders also talking about Raza and and Rowan Mustafa growing up together, and and just what a partnership with the ball. You know those two guys, so crafty. They just know their game inside out. It's it's a really interesting case of two bowlers who know each other and and you know you, you talk about individual quality and um that's kind of what got oman over the line but for uae it's it's playing as a team and, and bowling in partnerships raza and mustafa once they get a roll on with their rhythm it just becomes so difficult to break away from that and they just have this ability to suffocate batters as a sort of a double act and um as i mentioned before raza i really liked watching him captain and, and rotating the bowlers and squeezing the most out of them by supporting them in the field and choosing when to bowl them because you know the third scene role we saw Zahur Khan and Junaid Sadiq bowl pretty well Zahur Khan especially with some of those Yorkers and, and Junaid Sadiq as well uh, was, was very tidy but the third seamer role is a bit of a, a, an open question Kashif Dowd didn't really impress but the thing with uh, I was really impressed with in terms of Raz's captaincy was he knew exactly when to sort of sneak an over out of someone uh, in the th- third seamer role and uh, just kind of uh, you know, ro- rotate his bowlers in a way that meant he was getting the most out of them and finding the right moment to bring your strike bowlers back on and finding the right moment to kind of hide someone in the passage of play. So, yeah, he's he's just one of those guys that has a really good intuitive grasp of the game and, and when to move and when to act. Uh, so, yeah, Ahmed Raza, great captaincy. But overall, yeah, I think they would have been hoping for 3-1 or, or even, you know, four victories in, in this series, if we're honest. You mentioned Vitya Averind and how well he went in this series and of course in the T20 World Cup qualifiers beforehand he was nominated for the ICC Men's Player of the Month award mm. which it shouldn't have even been a contest it should have <laughs> just been this month goes this 19 year old who I'm quoting Radders here hopefully he's listening to this you know you know balancing his studies with getting his country to a World Cup and meanwhile, you've got India playing the West Indies and some bilaterals, and Shreyas Iyer gets some runs. And I don't know, it just seems that the clicks on the website have gone the way of Shreyas Iyer, as opposed to Aravind, which I think is just, I'm gobsmacked 
Nicholas, I'm gobsmacked. And, you know, lots of things gobsmack me. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But the fact that we've seen people tweet, Nepalese fans tweet and say that they had voted for the UAE player, despite the fact that Nepal's Dipendra Singh Ari, I, I was really tempted to say that in an Irish accent because <laughs> when I read his name, I, I hear it in my head in an Andrew Leonard voice, but we shouldn't be doing accents. But um, yeah, I just thought that was uh, just one of those little moments where you just shake your head again. It was just, this is another opportunity for the emerging game to be highlighted and for this kid's story to be out there. And I know that he's already been written about in one of the, the press release stories that could be used by agencies, but this guy should be intervie- interviewed on the main channels and posted on, you know, that these accounts that have tens of millions of people's following. So people are then pointed to, to watch the kid bat ICC TV, but we don't see that. And it's just, just really, really frustrating. And there's two different points. So I know the player of the month, but this is a story that we should all be hearing about. Maybe not so much if you're UAE fan, because it may mean that he's he's picked in the IPL and then picked for India, and then the the, the UAE doesn't have any more. But <laughs> just wanted to point that out as well. That yeah, you know, let's leave any bias that I have from being in Vanuatu or in fact you know Hong Kong before. I, I think Aravind may be my new favourite cricketer. Wow, big call. He's, he's definitely up there. I remember seeing, I think it might have been Armin Raza actually saying that you know, it's, it's hard to compete with uh, 1.4 billion voters for these uh, online polls. So, you know, t- take that with a pinch of salt. But um, yeah, he's definitely, he's up there with Gerrit uh, Erasmus as the absolute top class of, of associate batting. And uh, yeah, you say, you, you mentioned that about um, uh, India and how he might end up uh, going down that path. Uh, we'll, we'll, I guess, see what the future brings in, in that case. But uh, we, as we know from Angie Rath, it's not necessarily as easy as it sounds to just, uh, you know, jump jump over to uh, India and, and get picked up in the IPL because I guess there's just this kind of stigma around associate players and, and despite players being probably good enough, there's just this kind of uh, assumption that, the you know, if, if you haven't played for a test team, you, you're probably not up to scratch, which I think is um, the kind of thing that, you know, as you mentioned, we should be highlighting these stories and, and putting them more in the mainstream. And I guess that's why uh, the Emerging Cricket podcast exists. So, well, that was seven matches. We've got another six. PNG Barramundi's been the Gold Coast prior to flying to the UAE. And before they got there, Nepal have been playing against Sri Lankan teams before they've got to the Middle East and they join the UAE, who are in the middle of the longest series of one-day internationals, I think, in the history of world cricket. We're going to have to look that up, but I'm I'm pretty sure no team has played as many ODIs in the period of time that they will have by the end of this. As we mentioned before, we're part of the way through the UAE PNG game one of that series is go to air. How, how do you see this series panning out? Uh, well, again, you know, UAE probably would be targeting points from all four of those matches. Uh, PNG have looked quite bad in, in their 12 games so far. Training the Gold Coast, I saw an interesting point from Burtis that I think is a good one that, you know, they often prepare in Australia before they go on these overseas tours. And then they, you know, most of the time when you're playing associate cricket, you, you are playing on tracks that aren't necessarily that similar to Australia. Uh, so maybe that's not necessarily the best idea, though, of course, you know, Australia being much closer and having good facilities, it, it sort of makes sense from a logistical perspective. But, you know, if, if you're playing on, you know, bouncy decks in Australia and then you, you head over to the UAE and you need to face up to a bit of spin from Ahmed Raza and co., is that the best preparation? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, looking at the way <laughs> this match has gone, they batted first. Pretty much the same squad as usual, having the same issues as usual. 
Um, yeah, I literally have it in my notes. Uh, Chad Soper comes in at seven for eighty, helps them to eke out a score of uh, of one hundred and eighty. Uh, they ended up getting to one hundred and seventy six for eight. So um, you know <laughs> that wasn't too far. And I promise I wrote that before the match started. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. Asad Vala does all right at the top, not much support, fall in a heap. Chad Soper kind of rallies the resistance, uh, and then they get to uh, you know around 180 so i think the issue clearly is just depth the the batting doesn't have the quality that they need there's sort of a number of guys there that if they had a bit more depth they they probably would be dropped even someone like you know legacy arca who who's been a you know he always looks talented and, and always looks like he can go on but he just hasn't been able to kick on and he's been in, in and around the team for close to 10 years now and he just hasn't ever really uh you know gone on with any of it um the bowling i think is kind of it's disciplined but it just lacks the incisiveness especially that they would need to make up for the the wobbly batting so yeah just basically they don't have enough players and I don't know what it is because you know they have very good grassroots cricket they have a lot of people playing recreationally at least but just somewhere along the line and and I know they facilities are a challenge and and remote areas are a challenge around PNG but somewhere somewhere in the pipeline that people just drop off and they can't quite convert this good cricketing culture in PNG into actually having talent coming through into the national side. Yeah, I was going to jump down your throat somewhat and sort of say, well, you know, kind of Chatty got 18 or 44. He didn't really do as much as, you know, if Bez was here screaming. But then, you know, scroll down as we're recording, he has two for seven or 4.2 overs <laughs> um, coming in second change. So it's good to see him having a chance to contribute. I think uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast for at least a few months knows how at least one third of us feels about about. Chad Soper's spot in the uh, in the side, but yeah, I, I can't really disagree with you there on your outlook there. I think the X factor is which Nepal is going to turn up. Whispers again about captaincy woes, Sandeep and players being against him, and yeah, you know, and these are all bits and pieces on social media. So take it with a pinch of salt. But, you know, these are the things that are sort of out there saying that there's a bit of tension behind the scenes. So it will be interesting to see which team arrives in Dubai because it's a critical series for them and although we've seen them fight their way out of seemingly impossible positions before or cricket league division two amongst many but if they fall back into a qualifier that may see them the chance of them falling further down you know it's a long way off for now but I think this is a huge series for them to get to get moving up that table because they've played the fewest games out of all seven teams in the league and then you know, everything you said about PNG, you know, you think you've lost 12 matches in a row. You've got to say it's time for change, but you've got to have the players to bring in. And the fact that we haven't seen change in some way is good in that we've got a new coach or at least the last of four to five months and sticking with the players that have got them there, perhaps to give them a chance and to work on new things. But then you're also going to think, well, where are the new players that are bringing in? Because there's definitely places in that batting lineup especially batting, that could be replaced if there's talent coming. So you mentioned the the grassroots program. Yeah, hero of the emerging world, you know, 200,000 kids a year. But facility-wise, you know, they, they were having, you know, 40 built um, with a legacy fund from the 2015 World Cup. Thankfully, there's more money flowing into the region from the Women's World Cup via the New Zealand government, which will hopefully be announced soon. But that's 
that's positive as well. But I think rather than the facilities, I think it's just COVID at the moment that's, that's sort of holding up anything like that with local cricket, local facility development and being able to look after it. You know, P&Gs and still under a lot of stress. You know, they've got the general manager who's, who's not there and the CEO who's in Australia as well. It's, it's tough times for people involved with the game there if, you know, people are having to leave the country because of just general safety concerns and i think that's the concern looking around the cricketing world of all nations of developing and, and least developed you know the, the considerations around well security of course as always but in you know, covid as well and the people that are there trying to play and also administer so geez we all just really hope that they get a, get a win away don't we it will not be great for anyone involved with the team or beyond if they go through this series it's all, it, almost inconceivable that a team could go through the entire cricket world cup league two and not win a game but you know how is png going to going to win a game because you, you you said it yourself you've written the formula down before we've even had the podcast yeah. well that's just keeps happening doesn't it i think yeah sardwala got 40 odd nothing much else 173 180 whatever there's nothing that we talk about the the definition of madness being doing the same thing and expecting a different result well they they keep doing the same thing and they're not getting a different result are they no uh, and I don't want to kick them while they're down. You know, it's amazing to see them in the World Cup. The kits look great. The energy. You know, they're still smiling. There's no, they're not head down, walk around the field. They're still the same team that, you know, we were lucky to be there in Namibia and see them play and get themselves out of an almighty hole. Speaking of teams getting themselves out of tough positions, they did that, that magic day against Oman. This is a team that you want to see do well for associate cricket. You know, they're a hero of local development. You know, players have all learnt the game there, bar, you know, a handful that may have either grown up overseas or spent some time overseas. But, you know, it's just one of those great stories that, you know, where cricket has made a made such a positive effect in the in the culture. You just hope they can turn this around with players coming through. You know, we've got to see the next generation, some kids in their, their late teens and also in the, in the early 20s to, to start taking leadership roles. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and that's that's the thing. We, we love watching them play and, and they're a great bunch of guys and they're a great advertisement for cricket is, is just the way they play the game. And it's a great success story of, of associate development. And, you know, you, you see pictures of whenever they're playing, you know, people crowded around TVs in, in you know, back home and we just want the fans to get the team that they deserve. I think it's a bit like Nepal, and you, know, you mentioned which Nepal is going to turn up. Um, <laughs> their fans are maybe a bit more fickle, but at the same time, they do have that passion. And the fact that Nepal often kind of struggle despite having that interest back home is frustrating for a number of reasons, but just most especially for the fans who, who just love the game and <laughs> just keep getting disappointed by their team not living up to expectations. So... Yeah, hopefully PNG can, um, can can find a way forward because you know, having a, a good PNG is just good for associate cricket in general. So that's our wrap of the, I guess, the first half of this series in Dubai of, of seven ODIs as we look forward to another six between the UAE, Nepal and PNG. As we look a little further, you know, a week and a bit away, we see the Netherlands in New Zealand for Cricket World Cup Super League and there's a bit of personnel news which is I guess it's not it's breaking but it's exciting Nick yeah Michael Rippon has been named in the Dutch squad uh, which is interesting because he's been kind of in and around you know on the fringes of the New Zealand setup uh, for the last little while so you know 
maybe New Zealand kind of signalling that they're they're moving on from him, or you know, Ripon just being given an opportunity to sort of prove himself as you know, ma- maybe it's a, a way of of New Zealand sort of getting a closer look at him playing internationals without having to select him in the team, uh, or maybe you know, if he does really well in the first game, the the Kiwis will do a, a Mark Taylor circa nineteen ninety five <laughs> and select him into their team after you know, straight out of the Dutch squad. <laughs> Uh, look, you're really in my wheelhouse now. Now, <laughs> hopefully you're all aware, but you know you never know. Like a Nate Hayes listing may not this may not be in the in the library. But 1994-95, back in the days where Australia hosted a tri series, it was still called the World Series cricket at that stage. Well, yeah, we've had a lot of tri series recently. They're kind of reminding me of uh, you know my childhood really, where Australia yeah. we always had tri series to watch. Oh, exactly. So back in the old days, children, sit around. Grandpa's got something to tell you. <laughs> Um, the two teams would come sort of straddling each other and play maybe two to five tests, really, depending on the strength of the sides. But the crossover time would mean that they would stay and play a tri-series, which is World Series cricket. So 93-94, I guess, is, you know, if we acknowledge it was the you know, Shane Warne's first ODI cricket. Um, you know, what, people weren't quite sure how the, the master would go, but it came up against uh, South Africa and New Zealand. I think, you know, spun Cronier out and won a game on a wet Sydney wicket from memory. Um, but the next year, instead of just the two international teams, Australia had Australia, Zimbabwe, England, and Australia A. And that Australia A team read down, I think off the top of my head, it was like Hayden, Langer, Martin, Blewett, Lehman, and then we went to the bowlers with Rifle, Peter McIntyre, Joe Angel, and Greg Rao, round about there anyway we get to the final series and it actually becomes australia against australia a paul rifle's been the best bowler in the entire series playing for australia a australia you know mark taylor in your story because it's obviously all his fault <laughs> picks paul rifle for the 12 for the final series because you know he's been the best bowler so why shouldn't he be playing for the best team and then makes paul rifle 12th man for the entire final series which australia the first team win <laughs> which is uh it's just all-time sh- Housery. Like <laughs> like now, these days, the twelfth man isn't a twelfth man. You don't it's not you know your next best player that sits on the side waiting. You know, the sub is a probably a grade player who's been asked to come field and you send the next best players off to play state cricket or they're in the nets or whatever because they can't play. But in this it would have been, you know, pick your best eleven, pick your second eleven, that's the two teams that play. But funny to think. But there is nothing in the eligibility criteria that stops that from happening mid-series. Now, this is not an ICC event, as far as I'm aware, that requires you to submit a squad by a certain time because these are deemed bilaterals, I believe, in the context of World Cup Super League matches. Now, I might be corrected there, and I'm sure Andrew Nixon, who, you know, listening stats would have to be up there for the most consistent listener. Love you, Andrew. Might correct us there. But, you know, as you said, theoretically... Ripon could come and take fire for in game one and New Zealand go, no, not having any of that. We're going to, well, we would like to pick you. Do you accept? And yes, and he could come across and, and play for New Zealand in, in the next match. Now, wouldn't that make headlines? Well, it'd be like, um, I think it was Boyd Rankin back when he was still playing for England, took a five for it in one of his earlier matches um, mm. against Ireland. So yeah, it'd be a bit like that, but sort of sped up. It's, it's just a bit of a quirk of the eligibility in that there's no cooldown period moving from an associate to a full member, uh, whereas th- there's a three year cooldown period uh, vice versa you know if you're going from a full member to an associate yeah you, you say you say it's a quirk in the fact that there's no cooling off period between going from a 
associate to full member, but going from full member to associate, or indeed associate to associate or full member to full member. There is. Back in 2000, and it might have been the end of 16 or maybe 17, when the ICC made the major change to the criteria, they actually had a cooling off period going from associate to full member. And it was at the request of associates, such as Scotland, mm. who said, look, if you tell our teams that they can wait three years after playing for us to play for, you know, in this example, it's England, because they had players in the English system who were trying to qualify, you know, they're not going to play for us. The fact that you can have a player playing for us and then get picked for England the next week is actually a positive because it means that we keep hold of them as long as possible. So that was an interesting perspective. The fact that you sort of talked about being a quirk, I know you weren't passing judgment, but it's an interesting perspective of how that eligibility criteria works. And if you put that cooling off period in there, what, what that would mean. But that was also the same time that the ICC got rid of the development criteria. You know, reportedly it was to get the eligibility more in line with Olympic eligibility, meaning that when we got around to eventually playing in multi-sport games governed by the IOC or Commonwealth Games organisation, that it was in line and you know you wouldn't have much different teams. But before then, you're only allowed it's either three or four players that had qualified on residency alone. You know, back then it was four years, and and the other players in the team had to have been residents for at least seven years and or have completed eligibility criteria around being in the country, being involved in developing the game, etc. So that was a quite a big point in time because, you know, from then we saw, you know, certain teams have, have moved better than others that might have had um, had teams that sort of fit into the old development criteria better, but now with other other sides with teams of, of qualifiers, which is interesting because you play four-member cricket in World Cups or in Test cricket, it doesn't matter. You're only governed by that now it's three-year eligibility and yeah, the likes of if England in the past had had greater lengths of time, you know, it was seven years and they changed it not long before a certain Jay Archer was coming eligible under the uh, the ICC criteria. But no, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? That uh, these things come up from time to time, especially as we, we talk about Olympic qualification. But uh, I've talked a lot, Nick. I'm not sure how you'd, how you'd mark my hosting tonight. How'd I do? Oh, well, you know Beswick, but uh, yeah, did, did all right. Got us through. <laughs> oh, look, I... <laughs> uh, I think we'll we can wrap it up there. Uh, Nick, thank you for all your work yet again on this and putting it all together again. Special hello to Daniel Beswick there in New Zealand working away at the Women's World Cup. Thank you to all our patrons who continue to support us so well and all of our, our volunteer contributors. But for now, for another week from Bez, who's in New Zealand and probably in a hotel room, Nick Skinner and myself, Tim Cutler. Thank you and have a very good day.